0: All right. Good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well. Uh, My name is Hunter Melton. I'm the discipleship uh, and young professional minister, and as I've said before, I also do the landscape, and I'm not responsible, though, for those flowers that are dead out there, so it's not my fault. Um, (laughs) um, If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up with us this morning to Ephesians 2. I always remember it: General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So whatever, whatever gets you there. Um, we are—if you were with us last week—we are uh, in the middle of a sermon series uh, called "Better Together." It's on racial unity and racial reconciliation, and I am so grateful. Um, that our pastor has chosen to do this sermon series uh, in this time. If you don't know, the normal schedule that we have is that uh, we have shared across all of our campuses, shared sermon series throughout the year except for the month of July, and um, Aaron has led us here. And so I'm very grateful for a church that is not afraid to wade into the waters when it comes to racial reconciliation and racial unity. And as someone who is currently giving uh, his life to this place, I'm so grateful uh, that it's not just an on-the-stage kind of thing, but it's behind the scenes where there are strategies and there is desperate prayers for God to move in our church in this way so that the world might see uh, that what we are doing is not just words, but it is actions. But as I was preparing this sermon this, uh, this week, I was keenly aware um, that I need this message just as much as anyone else does. Like, I don't think that I should be giving a sermon that God is not blowing up in my heart anyway, already. And as I was writing this out, I just kept thinking, my goodness, how far do I have to come before this is truly a reality in my life? And so, um, I'm grateful that this morning you're not here primarily to hear from me, right? Like, I I don't, my opinion is, uh, and that and $1.25 will buy you a soda, right? Like, but I'm grateful that you're here to hear from the word of God. And um, so I pray that you would be able to look past the broken like vessel that's in front of you and that you would gaze longingly and beautifully into the Christ that unites all of us, into the Jesus and into the gospel uh, where if we were to ever see the kingdom of God come uh, in, uh, in Nashville as it is in heaven, that we would need to start on our knees. So it is under that banner of Christ only that this sermon will flesh itself out into action. So let's make much of Jesus this morning. And let's radically depend on our Christ to make our churches look like heaven. So uh, if you will, uh, this morning, because of God's word, being equally authoritative as if Jesus himself was standing on this stage, speaking these words, uh, will you stand with me in the honor of the reading of his word from Ephesians 2, 11 through 19. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenant of promise without hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body, through the cross by which he put the, uh, put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have one access and one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we are approaching a weighty but worthy topic. And we need you. Like we need you every day just to wake up in the morning. But so oftentimes our flesh pulls us away from seeing that dependence. But here we are uniquely reminded of the dependence that we need on you, Lord. So swing low to us, Jesus. Capture our hearts. Remind us that you are not just good for our afterlife, but you are good for right now. We are a people who are in need of you, speak to us this morning. It's your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, Ephesians 2, 11 through 19. How does this relate? Uh, How does this give us command, encourages us to racial unity and racial reconciliation? And how would we make that happen? Like, what would be a first step? Because I think this uh, subject, this text can feel weighty, which, if you were anything like me, can stifle me into inaction at times. So let's just look at this text and see what God is calling us to do when it comes to racial reconciliation. So the first thing that I would uh, just put uh, in front of you is this, is that in order for this to happen, we have to remember that we all were once a stranger to God. So we were all once a stranger to God. So the first step in racial reconciliation and unity is to remember that we were far off from the Lord. So let's look at this passage. Who is Paul talking to? Well, he's talking to the church in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And no Jew would have lived in Ephesus. This was a decidedly Gentile place. And so his audience are Gentiles. And so he's saying, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. You were called the uncircumcised. So they were far off from the Lord. The promises of God did not initially come to them. And if you were here today and you are not a Jew, this would have applied to you. This is us. We all once were far off. We all once were strangers. As a matter of fact, it was so clear that those who were Jewish looked at those who were Gentiles, and they did not call them by their name. They called them the non-circumcised. Now, that is not a label that I think any of us should walk around carrying, but that is what the Jews called them, the non-circumcised. And on the flip side of this, th- think about yourself right now as a, someone who is in the biblical times. You would have known this. You would have known that the, spe- that the Jews had a special privilege with the Lord. And Paul, if they didn't know that, Paul goes on to remind them that they were um, once without Christ. They had no hope, that they were excluded from citizenship of Israel and they were foreigners to the covenant of promise. And Paul, who is never one to crack a joke in a sermon, is never a lighthearted kind of guy, goes on to make himself clear that they were without hope and they were without God in the world. So just as a reminder, Unless you are of Jewish descent in this room, this passage is speaking to you. This passage is speaking to me. That we were once foreigners to God. And Paul is clear that we all brought nothing worthy of salvation into this world with us. No matter where you were born, what your skin color is, what your background is, you brought nothing worthy of your salvation with you into this world. And so that should sit on us in a way where we see, man, uh, it is all the grace of God that I'm even here today, that Jesus inhabits me today. If you call yourself a Christ follower, it is a pure act of grace. And so that's weighty, but I love verse 13. If you look at the text with me, it says verse 13, but now, and if I was a 1990s youth pastor, I would jokingly say, that's a big but, and then everybody would laugh, right? (laughs) But now... That, that joke was, I mean, that was lame in the 90s, 90, like 95, but they kept going for a while. Uh, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Friends, oh my goodness. Do we see that what this text is telling us is that it was only by Jesus' blood that we were brought near? Nothing that we happened. Like, this is good news. It's the hope of the gospel that those who were without hope now have hope in Jesus. And some of us, some of you, need to just be reminded of that this morning. Some of you might not be, you might not be in a place where you feel like you have much hope. And let me tell you this. If the condition of our hope in this life depended on us, we would never have it. But we find it fully, finally, and truly in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so maybe you just need to be reminded that there's nothing that you can do that would pull you away from that hope. But why start with the gospel when we are talking about racial reconciliation specifically? Like, why do we go there? Why is that our first block of this equation? Well, number one, we need to remember that regardless of our race, we bring nothing into this world that is good on our own. Like regardless of who you are, you are not better than anyone else based on who you are. And I think that we all would give mental assent to that. My question is, is do our lives reflect that? If all you have that is good in this life is Christ, then there can be no ethnic or racial hierarchies that define us, but only the status of dead spiritually or alive spiritually. Lost and without hope or found and with hope. That is what defines us. That is the status that we are looking for. So that is one. But two, racial reconciliation is 100% a gospel issue. I think Satan wins when we make it a political issue. Friends, a shallow um, elementary understanding of our salvation is that Jesus came to die on the cross for us We accept him, and then when we die, we go to heaven, and that's it. That is actually a very elementary, basic understanding of the gospel. The gospel is not limited to giving men and women new life when they get to heaven. It certainly is that, but it is not limited to that. What what else does it encompass? Too much to go through here, but the gospel involves, in this context, bringing the redeemed, whatever their race or their background, into unity into the people of God. A part of maturing in your faith is understanding that your gospel salvation, your testimony is never uh, private, though it is always personal. It is not only for you, but the gospel came to you because it was on its way to someone else. So as we grow in our faith, what we see is that racial reconciliation is a gospel issue, never a political one. So that is weighty, but let's offer hope. So the second point, we are all one in Christ. So we have to see here, friends and family, that there are different expressions of God in this world. And sometimes they are marked by skin color and sometimes they are not. But the Jesus who unites us is greater than any differences that would divide us. Verse 14 says what? For he Is our peace. Are you looking for peace this morning? It's found in Jesus. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. I'm not very good at math, but I think it's hard to make two things one. But Jesus did it. He tore down the wall. Now, Christ's death on the cross not only tore the veil, that's a very popular thing, right? And absolutely it did. There was a veil in the temple that divided God between humanity. And when Jesus died, he tore that temple, giving us direct and immediate access to God. And that is good news. But something that does not get talked about a lot is that Jesus tore down the wall of hostility between races, between ethnicities, so that we might be unified on earth as it is and will be in heaven. Now, I want to show you a picture, because I'm a history nerd, uh, of, a, uh, of an actual wall. Now, this was a wall of hostility. I don't know that Jews would call it this, but this is a wall, or at least a fragment of a wall, that would have been put up in the Jewish uh, synagogues. So as a Jewish person, you would know that there are different um, layers of the temple in which you go to worship the Lord. So the outer layer would have been the court of Gentiles. Anybody could go in there. Gentiles could go in there. They could go in there to beg uh, for money. They could do whatever they wanted within the court of Gentiles. However, there was a dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles. It's referred to here as the wall of hostility. Now, I don't think anybody can read uh, Greek here, uh, and I took two semesters of it, and I still can't read it. Uh, But if you could, it would be hard to see this, so I will give you a translation of it. So on this wall, in every Jewish synagogue across Israel, this wall existed, and it said this, No one of another nation to enter within the fence and enclosure around the temple. And this last sentence is haunting. And whoever is caught will have himself to blame that his death ensues. Now, we can clearly see that that is a dividing wall of hostility, right? I think now, as much as I kind of wanted to put that on my brothers or on my room so my brother would stay out, I never did. But I think we have to agree that that is a wall of hostility. Now, Jesus tore that wall down between Jews and Gentiles by abolishing the weight of the law, freeing the Gentiles, giving them access to God. Now you can say to yourself, why are we talking about Jews and Gentiles? I don't, uh, I don't have any real interactions or significant interactions with people of the Jewish faith. Why are we talking about this here? Well, I think it's interesting that though this is talking about Jews and Gentiles, God's heart still applies. Now, another stumbling block for us here is that I love our church. And there's so many great things about our church. And one of those things is I don't think anybody here can resonate by saying I feel hostile towards members of the opposite, uh, of different races. No one here would say that because you're good people. So this kind of thing right here, you can say, well, at least I am not feeling that way. At least there's no wall, either figuratively in my heart or even physically that I have to worry about. The hatred that we see on TV, the hostility that we see on TV of white supremacists in Charlottesville, Virginia, we feel good about ourselves at times because we can say, at least I'm not that guy. And we might even say at some level that there are people of different races in the purview of our world. But may I put forward this morning that the opposite of hostility is not passive acceptance of someone's existence in your life. The opposite of hostility is not just acceptance that someone exists. I'll never forget uh, my wife and I, and I didn't ask permission before I shared this story, but I love you, boo, and you're, she's here, so this is real. We were in, we were in Chick-fil-A uh, together just a few weeks before we got engaged and I knew it was coming and I had the ring and the ring was burning a hole in my pocket. and All I wanted to do was ask her to marry me, but I had set up this party and all this stuff. And so we were, it was going to happen in the way it needed to. Um, but I remember I wanted to kind of like feel out what she was thinking about us getting married. And this is the way I was going to do it. And I, I, I kind of mustered up the street. She was eating like chicken nuggets or whatever. And we were, cause all sanctified conversations happen in Chick-fil-A and, uh, and I remember I asked her, I said, so what do you think about, uh, about taking my last name, like being Joy Melton? And she had this, I think it was a chicken nugget. She had it in her hands. It was right. She's, and she just stopped. And she goes, um, I mean, I don't hate it. Just like that, right? She, I mean, I don't hate it, right? Now, you can imagine, as the person who's about to propose to this lady right here that's in front, the idea that she didn't hate taking my last name didn't strike a lot of confidence in me. (laughs) And we waited quite a bit after our our, uh, wedding for her to take my last name. So I still don't know how she feels about it, right? But I could say this, man, like, gosh, maybe Jesus hasn't died for us on the cross just to not hate things. And maybe our black brothers and sisters and our Hispanic brothers and sisters and our Asian brothers and sisters and every other race doesn't, isn't comforted by the fact that we say we don't hate people of different races. Maybe because that's largely the same message that's being put out by the world. And even the fact that we have to have a sermon series like this is actually a result of the fall in our lives. So, friends, um, go with me on this. Maybe the question that we should not be asking primarily is, am I a racist? Because I think you'll answer that question no 10 times out of 10. Because it's pretty subjective. Maybe you shouldn't be asking, do I hate people who look different from me? No, friends, Jesus has called us to a higher standard than just not hating The question we should be asking is, how am I actively reaching out to people who look different and act different than me? How am I getting into their world? How am I learning from them, not just to understand, but to implement aspects of their lives into my own? You see, I love that when Jesus died, he created out of two things, jews and gentiles one thing and god is busy in our lives now out of many things one so that the world might see that our jesus is a unifier and i long for the day where it is no longer necessary to say the quote from martin luther king jr that 11 o'clock on a sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week And I think it starts on an individual level, realizing that unless we are communing with people who look different, act different, and I'm not just talking about uh, different races at this point, although that's the thrust of this message, but friends, if you are not communing with people who look different than you, then according to the Bible, you aren't experiencing the kind of peace that Christ affords, and that haunts me that maybe I don't know my Jesus well enough because I don't know my black brothers and sisters and my Hispanic brothers and sisters well enough to see that there are traces of my God inside of them that I need to know. And I don't, like, I don't know, I do know what to do with that, but it is a hard thing, and I think that's okay for us to say it's a weighty thing, but we have to realize that inaction is not acceptable uh, not acceptable when Jesus Christ has given us grace, not just as a defensive measure to passively receive forgiveness, but as an offensive weapon to live the kind of life that we are called to live. So finally, uh, show that unity. Number three, show our unity to the world Um, for all the craziness of the world that we live in right now. Like I got... A notification on my phone from the New York Times that says that there's now racial bias in security camera footage in Detroit, right? Like people are, the world is going crazy, asking questions that I think only Jesus can answer. You have, if you are a Christ follower here, you have that Jesus. They're asking questions like, where is true happiness found? Uh, where can I be fulfilled in this life? How can I be fulfilled in this life? What if my material wealth is not enough? Hello, anybody feeling that even personally for yourself? How do we get the world to see the value of all races? The craziness of this world right now is just trying to, in a non-Jesus way, trying to get the word across that there is a message and a hope of unity. But can we say this, that Jesus is the hope that the world is looking for? And I pray that this church, and I can't speak for any other church, so if you have been church or if you've been church hurt before, I'm sorry. But I can only answer this church's mission. It's my prayers that we would reflect Jesus. You know, in verse 19, uh, it says, So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Do you know that in the Jewish culture, it was okay to let foreigners and strangers dwell in your midst? And so a good Jew would say, man, uh, you know what? There are people of different races and ethnicities dwelling in our land, but they have no rights like we do. They have no privileges like we do. We don't interact with them. They occupy the same air, but they're not in the same place. And my fear is that we look a little bit more like those Jewish people who say, I will gladly allow them to be here, but as foreigners and strangers, when we are called to embrace those of different races and ethnicities as saints. Now, if you had a saint want to come to your home, however you define saint, If you had a saint who wanted to come to your home, what would you not do to prepare for that? What questions would you ask them? How would you take the lessons that they learned in their lives and apply it to you? And I would say this, according to the Bible, if you have Jesus in you, you are a saint, and your brothers and sisters are saints. We should treat them with the same honor and the same respect and the same dignity, willing to learn from them because Jesus has given them the same hope that he's given to us. So how tantalizing it would be to the world if we started treating our brothers and sisters in Christ who are different than us like that. Uh, In John 17, verse 20, I love, it's the great high priestly prayer that Jesus prays right before he dies. And he prays this, I pray not only for these, so he just got done praying for his disciples. He says, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So he's praying for you. He's, He's praying for you. Because we all believe, if you trace it back, we all believe because the disciples were faithful to share the word of God. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. We can talk about gospel conversations all day long, but our greatest evangelism strategy is our oneness. And it's messy. And I don't know exactly how you would implement all this, and we're still trying to figure that out. But, man, we are trying to run towards it. The world will not listen to our sermons on diversity until it sees it within our homes, within our pews, and within our lives. And I pray this morning that if nothing else, that we would just see that racial reconciliation is not something to hold at arm's length, but it's something to embrace within yourself. And again, I hope my disclaimer pointed that back at me this morning to realize that I have got something to do. And I, at some level, was terrified to say this out loud because now I'm accountable. And you have the right to ask me how that's going. So, uh, we're pleading with you today to actively embrace racial unity and reconciliation, not only for your sake, so that you might find the hope that Jesus is calling, to, calling us to. But so the world might see that our God is real. Um, So I don't know what to do uh, as far as how to land this plane, uh, except to go to God in prayer, because he's the one that's going to do this. All we have to do is to be dependent and live our lives from there. So will you pray with me?